Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. My guest today, the author of The Self-Employed Life, Jeffrey Shaw. Uh, I have Jeffrey on. He talks about his book, The Self-Employed Life. Uh, but there's three important lessons here that I think everybody can learn from um, in Jeffrey's path to get here. And it's all encapsulated really in how when he was started selling eggs when he was 14 years old. Um, we share a very, even though he grew up in New York and I grew up in Georgia, we share a very similar background about uh, understanding some of these things about uh, growing up rural and poor. Um, but the strategy, sale, selling, positioning, and marketing lessons that come from the chicken and egg story are totally super valuable, so you should check this one out. Uh, before I get to the conversation with Jeffrey, though, on Wednesday, January 31st, 2024, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, I am going to do a free webinar called From Beyond Boom to Bust, and it is strategies that will help you stabilize and grow your organization uh, in 2024 and beyond. And part of where this came from was a um, number of strategic plans I've seen, uh, but one that was really uh, being pushed heavily uh, from an arts organization that was uh, had a lot of the pitfalls that I see uh, people struggling with in strategy. So I put together a list of do's and don'ts for strategy to help you uh, do a better job with your strategy. Um, so that'll be Wednesday, the 31st of January at 11 a.m. Eastern. So if you've got intakes or any of these things, um, you'll be able to get, get to it before you get to your day's planning and fun. All right, so that link's in the show notes. I'm going to do a lot more stuff with the Talking Tickets newsletter. So get the Talking Tickets newsletter if you don't already. It's at talkingtickets.substack.com. Uh, I will probably even find a way to put the podcast stream into the newsletter now. But that's uh, some hardcore stuff that we'll get to later. But talkingtickets.substack.com. Um, also, I'm working on putting together a free event in Chicago. That's when, in partnership with a couple of different people. I'm working out the final details on it right now, but if you'd be interested, it's, it's going to be around marketing and branding and driving ticket sales. Uh, send me a note, dave at davewakeman.com, and I will let you know when the application process or uh, the attendance information is ready to go. But the plan is for Chicago sometime in the spring, um, and in theory, it's going to be free. So uh, Dave at DaveWakeman.com, um, or you can get, let me know in the Slack channel or a DM on all the socials. You can send me a smoke signal, a postcard, whatever it is. Uh, just make sure. Uh, also, in 2024, I want to work you into the podcast a little more. So I want your questions. The first question I'm looking to find, get from you are about uh, attendance and driving attendance, uh, changing attendance, getting more attendance in 2024. You can send me those at dave at davewakeman.com. And finally, if you keep finding these podcasts valuable, which the listenership has been very consistent, very high, so thank you for that. Uh, please do me a solid and share this with a colleague, a coworker. Um, someone you know who might benefit from this conversation with Jeffrey or any of the other great conversations that have really hold, held up very well over the years. Um, let them know. It helps the podcast grow. It helps people, you know, discover us, helps me get better guests. Um, and along with that, uh, make sure you rate and review the podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcast from because just like the uh, sharing, it helps me grow the podcast. It helps me get better guests. It helps all of those things. Uh, so that's it. Um, here's my conversation with Jeffrey Shaw on The Business of Fun. I would like to welcome Jeffrey Shaw to The Business of Fun podcast. Jeffrey, how are you? I'm great. Glad to be here. Oh, this is, I'm very excited for this. I um, The self-employed life, uh, when... Your assistant sent me the email about this. I was like, oh, this is really, really cool. And then I got the book and I and I saw it and I was like, this is amazing. And the first place I want to start is I want to start with the way you um, created all these metaphors. 
in the book. And I was telling you before we started recording that I've taught this class in brand management at the Kelly School of Business or the Kelly on Location program. Uh, and then I'm always looking for metaphors. And the one that really, uh, after I read through everything and kind of was doing, put my notes together research was the first, I think maybe it was one of the first ones about fog. And how you had to clear about the fog from the sh- from the inside of the shower so people could see into see into you. Uh, how did you? Um, why are metaphors so important in the way you view you know in the way you frame some of the arguments in this book? Because I think they're very powerful, and there's a number of them. Awesome. I love that you're asking this. Nobody's ever asked me about the the, the strategy of metaphors ever. Um, and of course, that one makes sense because your own branding expertise. But I'll tell you what. Here's why. And and again, that's why I love you asking this because it it. It's intuitive to me. You know what? When you've one of the key components of of my work as a, as a coach and and the founder of the Self Employed Business Institute and everything I do and even you know even as a keynote speaker, um, what I have done for forty years, which is what I am now speaking about to save other people time, is I have had to translate the conventional world of business into ways that work for me as an unconventional business. When I say unconventional business, I mean, my original career, as I refer to it now, is I was a portrait photographer for affluent families. All right, so the, yeah, it's a, that's an unconventional yeah. business. But you know what? If you're When you're self-employed, you're in the unconventional world because mm-hmm. the world is built for very conventional business thinking. And it just, this, this, these business, this business advice gets handed down time and time again. It becomes very rote language. And as self-employed business owners, we hear these ridiculous things or see these strategies done by much bigger companies. We think that's just that doesn't work for us. And here, here's the, the cornerstone reason why. Conventional business is transactional based. When you're self-employed, I don't care what your industry is, when you're self-employed, your business is relationship based. So so often what other people do, what other businesses do, we have to do the complete opposite of. So in my effort to figure out how to translate the unconvent the conventional world to the unconventional world, I've had to use metaphors because it's how people get it. And it's also how I gained clarity. Now, the specific one you're talking about, I literally was standing in my shower one day is, you know, the best idea is always come when you're in the shower and it's a glass enclosed shower. And, you know, what's always on my mind is how I can help my clients better. And, you know, a big part of my work was about branding. And that's when it, it hit me. I'm standing in the shower salt. Of course, it's all fogged over because I'm taking the hottest shower possible. And I realized that the fog is on the inside. And it's it's a metaphor for the, the lack of clarity business owners often feel on the inside, that they're not as clear on their brand message. They're not as clear on who their ideal client is. They're not as, as clear as how to reach out and connect with that ideal client. And that's where I flip the burden of responsibility and say, you know what, as the business owner or the marketer of this business, the burden of responsibility is on you to wipe away that fog from the inside. And when you do, not only can you see out more clearly and see direction and see where you're going, the world can see you more clearly. So that's where that that specific metaphor came for. But it's a grounding metaphors give it's what I refer to as a fundamental shift. And the, the benefit of a metaphor as a fundamental shift is that you're starting with somebody, something somebody already knows, and you're just shifting them to a different perspective. It's easier than trying to start from zero. Right. So that's that's the use of metaphors. I'm glad you picked up on that. And that's the story behind that specific one, which, again, as a branding expert yourself, it would make sense that that one would would, would resonate. Yeah. No, uh, and it's um, the way you just talked about the fundamental shift, too, is like uh, I learned this from my marketing marketing teacher my brand professor uh and he said it's like t- being a good marketer means you're t- most of the time the marketers are looking in the wrong end of the telescope and you have to flip the telescope yeah. to look through you know to look through the right way and yeah. and it's like and the other one he uses that was really helpful to me was it's like you gotta you have to put yourself get up out of your seat and turn around and sit on on the other person's seat so you can see what they see of you not what you see of them a hundred percent and that yeah. honestly that's my biggest argument for why one needs to hire a coach honestly yeah. uh, because my favorite you know get on a metaphor one of my favorite phrases in in all the work that i do is that you can't read the label from inside the jar right there's another yeah. metaphor for you right and and when it is your business, you're so far in the jar, you can't possibly look at it objectively. You right. need that mm-hmm. outside perspective to right. or flipping of the telescope, as you say. It's imperative. Yeah, it, it, it's absolutely key. Now, 
another story you tell, which is going to stick, which stuck with me, and I didn't even hint at this when we started because I didn't want to uh, bias you in any. I didn't want you to prepare for this or anything. But you talked about selling eggs, um, and when you were a kid in upstate New York, where at the IBM. Uh, near yeah. the IBM, and it's it really it stuck with me, and I'll tell you why now. It's because I was, and I was just telling my son's teacher this because we're on a parent-teacher conference. Um, because like when I take him to see his uh, his great aunt and his, and his grandmother in northern Georgia, I grew up on a uh, in a, a house that I was the first one to always had indoor plumbing. So when you're talking about how how like you know didn't have a lot, it was a big adjustment for people. Um, and in New York City, um, you talked about selling eggs and like how yeah. you had to overcome your fear of reaching out to people and talking to people to be successful at selling. Uh, I was, you know, I was want to share with everybody, like, you know, how did you overcome that fear? Like what, what were some of the steps you did? And then there's a second part of about how you learned that price is an arbitrary number, which is also a, key thing but yep. first I'll I, you, Dave, I think everything i learned started from selling those eggs like everything i know now like yeah. i realized today what yeah. i mean i'm 59 so what from 14 50 i can't do the math 45 years later um so much of what i learned started from those selling eggs you know it's yeah. the crazy things that you do when you're a kid and like you i grew up in a really it was a weird upbringing because um this was the beginning of ibm as a, as a company this they they it was farmland, right? So it was cheap land. So IBM bought up a massive amount of farmland, knowing that this would eventually become the world's largest uh, production of computers. So it was farmland. And the people that lived there were farmers. And my family weren't farmers. My father was trans, uh, uh, transplanted there um, uh, to take a job at IBM. But he had this weird thing where the latest in technology was blossoming. But at the same time, we shared a phone number with five families because there weren't enough telephone lines. And there were farms everywhere. So it was a really weird dichotomy. Um, so I had this idea to, to sell eggs door to door because it, and here's, here's the number one lesson I learned from that. The reason I took it upon myself to sell eggs door to door at 14 years old was it was at about that age. I had a conversation with my father who said something really powerful. Uh, what he said to me, he said, nobody's going to care about your life as much as you do. And I didn't know what to, I, yeah, 14 years old, I had a big impact. And I, I, I actually took it as I think I think that included him. Like I don't think he was going to worry about me as much as I needed to worry about myself. But I just looked at my future and thought I'm a 14-year-old kid suffering with paralyzing shyness. Like I did everything I could to not leave the house. Mm-hmm. I was bullied in school. Um it was a you know a lower you know lower middle class community. Mm-hmm. The prospect of high of college what didn't look like it was on yeah. the horizon. So that's a, a, a pivotal lesson right there was like, I think I have to take the, I think I have to take the bull by its horns and, and figure this thing out. I don't think I'm hireable. I don't know where I would go for a job. I better find my own way. So I had this idea. One thing people need are, are eggs for Sunday morning yeah. breakfast. So I went door to door selling eggs. I, I struck a deal with a local farmer, uh, paid him, um, yeah, I paid him 25 cents, a dozen of eggs and I mark, I sold them for a dollar 25. So I made a dollar a dozen and my mother owned a beauty parlor in town. So I'd pack up cartons of eggs for her to sell to her customers on Saturdays. Plus I'd go to door to door. I would drive. I was 14 years old, two years under driver's uh, legal driving yeah. age, but who cares in the country, right? So I packed up my mother's Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. I could barely see off the steering over the steering wheel and I would drive around town and sell eggs and, and made a killing, I will I'll say. And to your point, I was scared to death the whole time. Like I mm-hmm. would literally walk up to these houses and before I would knock on the door, I, I would think I'm just going to vomit in the bushes. And it got easier because I got to know the people. So I also learned something about loyalty. It's like, wow, it was so much easier to knock on homes, on the doors of homes that I knew and the faces were friendly. So I much, I figured, how can I keep those people forever? Because it became my goal in business to have to know as few new people as possible. <laughs> and that, again, is a big reason why I believe in a business having a high loyalty rate and retention, because then you get you have to know you have to get to know as few people as possible every year. Right. So that was one thing I liked the people I got friendly with. Um, but I also learned something else which has stuck with me my whole life is that when the rewards are greater than the fear, you keep going. And for me, the reward, it was the, the, the money was a teaser. And honestly, I started making some good money as a 14-year-old, but that was a teaser. What I liked the most is how it was pushing me to grow as a person. And I still feel that way about business. I always, I say all the time, 
particularly being self-employed. Being self-employed is like personal development on steroids. Mm-hmm. You you know yeah. you you're going to encounter so many so many things faster. So that to me is my essence of fear. I feel that way today. I'm a I'm a professional speaker. It scares the crap out of me every time before I step on stage. But the reward of impact is greater than the fear. So you keep going. So I'm I'm always looking for opportunities where the reward of what I'm doing is greater than the fear. And and I'm not even interested in trying to make the fear go away. I just deal with it because the rewards are greater. Right. You I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it ever goes away. I think you just no. at least I get just I've gotten better at ignoring it. Yeah. And I think what I don't like, Dave, what I what I don't yeah. like, I'll tell you, is how often people say to you, uh, you know, especially public speaking, oh, you're nervous because you care. And I see no correlation between <laughs> how nervous I am and how much I care. I care anyway. Right. I mean, I think it's a stupid <laughs> thing to say. And we hear it so often. And I actually think it's really dumb. Like, I'm going to care anyway. I care deeply about everything I do. I, I, if I could do it without the nervousness, that would be great. Yeah. But it, it, no correlation there for me. No, there's some certain stupid things that people say over and over again. They are ridiculous. That's that's up there. That's one of them. Yeah, that I definitely hear that. How much you care? I'm like, no, I'm not. Yeah, I was like, no, not at all. I'm just nervous because I'm nervous. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I would still care if I wasn't nervous. And when all those cases, I do. I'm not nervous. I still care. It's totally. That's the key. It's like, yeah, exactly. That's the key. It's like I I care anyway. Yeah. and so I guess like this falls into the, you know, the, the, the growth things. Uh, I, I don't want to skip over that. But um, the second part of the story that you tell about growing up that I was like, my, my Lord, this is the great. This is great. Is you talked about you'd leave a little you'd clean the eggs and put them in the carton. And then you'd leave a little uh, chicken poop on, on a couple of them for authenticity. Yep. And yep. I thought that was great because that's like a, a true bit of brand like brand equity and a brand code for you which led into the the part that i thought was even more because somehow over the time i've like become really um known for pricing uh but price is an arbitrary number and i was like well i could have said that better myself because it's like the eggs are authentic therefore i can charge six times what i what i paid for them and it's like yeah i i I literally think everything i know about business today i learned from selling those eggs and this is one of them you know the, the pricing certainly uh how pricing is arbitrary but you know, here we are today, but one of the biggest buzzwords in life and business is authenticity. And, you know, I've been doing this 45 years ago when I realized that there was greater impact. Like I could watch the, I watched the the expressions on my customers' faces when they, because as we all do, you know, when you buy a dozen eggs, you open it up and make sure none of the eggs mm-hmm. are broken. And I realized there was a, they would literally say if I, they opened because in the beginning I was completely cleaning the eggs because chicken poop on the eggs is, mm-hmm. you know, you think gross. So I was completely cleaning that off before I, I filled up the cartons. But then I, I started experimenting. I was like, well, if they're farm fresh, how clean should they be? So I started leaving just a little bit of poop on the eggs. And then I watched I'd watch my customer open the carton, kind of wince with her face a little bit. And like, I mean, literally sometimes she would say, well, I guess they're fresh. You know, and actually, and I was like, I just nailed it. Like leaving some of the chicken yeah. poop on it made it more authentic, right? Mm-hmm. In the same way that look how often our, it's how often our foods are dyed and colors are made up because it's made to be more edible. That made them more edible, more fresh. And it also is important because this, again, this community had its nuances. It was complete farmland in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. but the greater percent of the residents were from down what we call down County, right? They're Westchester County or New York yep. city moving to this farmland community to be a part of the greatest startup of IBM, right? So they were city people living in the country and mm-hmm. having a really hard time with this, yeah. <laughs> you know? And and I had one customer that was buying dozens of cartons of eggs. And I'm pretty sure she was going back to New York City and selling them for a higher price because they were, yeah. you know, farm fresh eggs were even more demand in city living. So I think she was, she was, she was dealing, <laughs> um, which is totally fine with me. But that that was a key thing, like the authenticity <laughs> of not completely cleaning the eggs. Now, price. I actually I went back and did some research because when I was 14, this was 1978. In 1978, uh, ironically, the average price for a dozen of eggs was 78 cents. Uh, and I remember looking that up. And I was selling a dollar OK, so it was how could I justify charging a dollar twenty five when the somebody can go to the store and buy the very same eggs for 78 cents well a it was delivered to their house right so there's a Mm -hmm. customer service element although 
even today, I will make an argument that customer service is not a, enough of a differentiator because somebody else can come along and match your customer service or exceed it instantly, right? So I, mm-hmm. I tell businesses, don't rely on customer service as a differentiator. The differentiator was the poop, right? The differentiator yeah. mm-hmm. was that I was selling you know, farm fresh eggs, couldn't claim them organic. I don't even think we spoke in terms of organic in 1978, but um, they were farm fresh. And that was the differentiator because they're not going to get that when they go to the store. And especially in those days when you bought bleach white eggs, these were eggs that were different colors. Some of them had poop on because they came fresh from the farm. That was the differentiator and that was the justifier. But, you know, again, pricing is arbitrary. And and later as the story goes, when I started my portrait photography business for affluent families, again, I'm lower middle class kid growing up in the country and became it became very clear to me that as a photographer, I wanted to work with people with discretionary income and not because I thought the roads were paved with gold or life would be easy if you worked with wealthy people, but because of our, I, I felt more aligned with their values. You know, I mean, selling photography is about selling memories and selling long term. And the only people that can afford to invest in the future are people that have discretionary income. So it was a logical decision to 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 uh, work with that market. The problem was I didn't know anything about them. So it became for me, it became a study of what emotionally triggered affluent people to buy. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started going to New York City, as you know, as all the stories are told in my book and really studying what I call the emotional triggers. And when it came to pricing, I had to pick prices that were so far extreme from what any other photographer would charge. But I Mm -hmm. had to choose prices that established the credibility and the Mm -hmm. art of it. Right. And that's, I mean, other people are selling an eight by 10 for $1.99. I was selling it for $300, like a single eight by 10, because I had to create the person. That's the line I say in the book is that pricing creates perception. Mm -hmm. Yet to control the perception you want to get across by the pricing. And, and so many businesses have that off. They try to tout themselves as high quality, high end, but they're charging, you know, discount prices. It doesn't work. Uh, again, I couldn't say some of this better myself. I mean, it's um, it's a line I use a lot of times with or it's, it's, it's similar examples that I use with sports teams a lot. Because I go like, look, what's premium for you as the person working here is not necessarily premium for the person paying for it. You're not selling it to you. You're selling it to that person. So how, whatever you believe is likely wrong. And, it, you yeah. know, and I I learned this. I learned this at um, the same lesson because, again, I, I didn't grow up like I mean, where I'm at now. I mean, I, n- no clue that this was, this was even a, a possibility when I was 10, 12 years old. Um, I had to learn. Right. And it was like and the biggest challenge, which comes back to like being self-employed and like the way you market and sell yourselves is like the first sale, sale you have to make is to yourself because you have to disconnect yourself because, you know, again, I'm largely selling in it, a lot of times an intangible. Was it worth to me? I can't if I put myself in my own shoes, I can't even fathom it. So it's like, what is the person yeah. on the other end of the purchase? Right. And so therefore you have to remain non-judgmental. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the key components of it, right? You can't judge. And I will tell you, working with the super affluent and growing up the way I did, I heard all the stereotypes, all the stereotypes, yeah. all the negativities, and not one of them was true. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I worked with the most family-centric people. But no, the kids weren't brushed off on nannies and sent to boarding schools. But yeah, the family, you know, a family of four would have a staff of eight. Absolutely. That's because their houses run like a corporation. And yeah, there mm-hmm. are nannies involved with the kids, but mainly so the parents can go to soccer games, right? So it was it was nothing like the stereotypes of what I had heard. So you, you have to approach it completely non-judgmental. And the other, you hit on another really key point that is so simple, somehow it gets overlooked. And that is when you are a service-based business, you're almost always serving a clientele that can afford more than you can. You're almost always serving up, right? Because that's how it works. You people that people that buy your services can afford you, you buy Mm -hmm. services that you can afford. Right. So you're almost always serving a clientele um, that has more discretionary income than you might. So therefore, you can't put yourself entirely in their shoes as to what you deem is affordable. 
And, I, and I, that's true, I think, even with most products, not just services, it's also true with most products, at least, almost exclusively. Um, but that's, you know, just me. Now, uh, going back to the idea of metaphors, because I could talk about this pricing thing and like the perception thing the whole, all day, but like, you know, people have heard this rant from me many, many times, uh, and they will hear it many, many times again. Um, but just like, that message, if I can get it through, it's their their perspective and their perception, not yours. Get yourself out of the equation. Um, one thing I do like is you talk about life as an ecosystem. And the first part of this was like, and I don't want to get this wrong, so I made sure. Oh, it's like, so you talk about the per, part one's personal development. And you talked about like the way you set goals and the way you talk to yourself. And you talk about from to. And I thought mm-hmm. that was great. Um can you explain that to people and kind of tell us how sure. you got there? Because I was like, once I like read through that and like kind of played with it, I was like, that's friggin' amazing. So, yeah. yeah. And it works and that's the key, right? So I, I know my, I know my people, my people are business owners. They're already out there doing a lot. They already have a lot on their plate. So I, I've come to understand, which is why I teach the self-employed ecosystem, right? That's the mm-hmm. basis of the curriculum for the self-employed business Institute is the self-employed ecosystem. And the ecosystem consists of three parts, as you said, personal development, business strategies, daily habits, and mindsets. And, and that those three things collectively is what makes one successful being self-employed and they're not equal and they're not imbalanced because you're going to spend a lot more time in action with business strategies than you are working on your mindset. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, they're not, they're not designed to be equal, but they're all essential elements. Um, if anything is off balance, uh, we actually have an assessment, which I can offer to your, your listeners uh, the self-employed assessment, which you can get at selfemployedassessment.com. And it's a simple six questionnaire, a six, uh, six question that, give you the information as to where you're off on your ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And what I like to tell people is like, just like an ecosystem in nature, if something is off, it can kill the whole environment. Now, I'm not going to say it's going to kill your business, but I can guarantee you you're working harder than you need to. Guarantee it Mm -hmm. until you get in there and you fix what's off, right? You're absolutely working harder than you need to because we also think making money is hard. So I'm always looking for ways of, the effective strategies that I know work because I've done them for 40 years and I've taught countless clients and students, but in the most efficient way possible. And what you're referring to is a, is a, a format for intentions because intentions might sound woo woo to some people. Uh, it might sound common to other people, but I think they're almost always taught wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can, you can't be intentional. You can't have an intention to be successful. You can't, I don't believe you can even have an intention to like have a certain hit a certain sales goal. It's too vague. And this is the problem with intentions. And then people give up and they say, Oh, it, things like intentions and affirmations don't work. Well, they don't work because they haven't been taught to you effectively. Mm-hmm. So I came up with this system. I call it the from to format for intentions and it's clear and concise. I want to go from this to that. Mm-hmm. Right. And it could be I want to go from not having enough money to pay my bills to having more than enough money to pay my bills. Right. right? It can be literal. It can be metaphorical. I, I for some time ago when I was starting out as a speaker, I had an intention to go from back of the line to the front of the line. Okay? Mm-hmm. What that meant to me is the only person has to mean anything to what that meant to me was I was because I'd been shy earlier in my life. I was so used to putting myself in the back of the line so nobody would see me to realizing that, guess what? You're not going to get so sp- chosen as a speaker if nobody knows you're there. Right. So, right. so I had to ingrain this in myself. I wanted to go from the front of the line to back of the line. It was my way of tr- having an intention to hold, raise my hand, yeah. put myself in front of people to get the speaking gigs I wanted. So that's that. the from to format is golden because it's short, concise, and it works. It's not these flowery sitting around the bonfire. You know, I have an intention to impact mm-hmm. 1 million people in five years. I'm like, your brain Whatever. can't comprehend that. <laughs> no. right? Your brain can't absorb that. Yeah. You want, it, the, your brain wants to know where are you starting and where do you want to go? Because then it can create uh, strategies. I mean, it, it, the subconscious mind, I, th- I think, um, again, this is one of those woo-woo con- concepts, but this is what you're talking about. It's like going, if you don't tell your tell your mind what to focus on, yeah. it can't focus on anything. It, it, it's, it does sound cheesy to people because it's like some of it has been used so terribly. Again, yeah. like some of the advice that we, people give – 
is that people so people don't understand the subconscious mind needs to see something that's specific but not so specific that it's outlandish it needs to be so it can work towards that solution right so like the way you describe it's like when i'll have enough money now i want to go from that to where i have more than enough so you know what your bills are and, and you can you just, and you've you picked up on what exactly I said, right. more than yeah. enough like i yeah you don't want to say i want to go from not having enough money to pay my bills to having enough money to pay my bills no you want more than enough to pay your bills right so mm-hmm. overshoot it a little bit another metaphor i use this one all the time is that in brand messaging and in your goal setting, you need to think of it like throwing a tennis ball against a wall. It never comes back as hard as you threw it, mm-hmm. right? So when it comes to brand messaging, that's why you know people often, particularly purpose-driven uh, business owners and impact-driven business owners, they they can be kind of shy in their marketing. They don't talk about themselves enough. They don't want to put themselves out there. They feel like they're being too repetitive. And that's when I pull out the tennis ball ball metaphor. I'm like. First of all, you're not so important that the whole world is listening to you all the time. Hate to break it to you, but you're just not that important. <laughs> so <laughs> the world is only hearing a very small fraction of the number of the times that you're talking yeah. about yourself. Okay, so get over it and think of it like a tennis ball. It's it, your messaging. You're the impact that you're trying to create is not coming back as hard as you're throwing it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's by law of physics, it can't. So this way you have to throw it that much harder. So, um, you know, another metaphor for you. No, I, that, that one is a very good one, too. And it's if I get one message across to everybody, it's like, going, listen, nobody is paying attention. That's the biggest battle you're fighting is that nobody cares yeah. and, and they're unlikely to care. So you may as well. like you, I tell people, like, pick an enemy, um, be ridiculous. Right. As long as it fits within, like, as long as you're OK with it. Right. You know, I mean, there's certain things, you know, certain businesses that maybe shouldn't be ridiculous, but I'm not in banking. Right. I'm in branding. So it pays for me to be ridiculous. But it's it's just so true. So touching on that thing, uh, we talked, you move into the business strategies. And the one thing you warn me that people ask about all the time. So I'm going to go along with type here and I'm going to ask about hug marketing and mm-hmm. the sales funnel, because I think. I told you that I'm a classically trained marketer and I, so, you know, and I even teach the, the damn thing, uh, you know, it, but I'm always looking for different ways to get the idea across. And I thought the idea of the hug marketing and the different circles was re- really, really powerful because there's, again, w- dealing in marketing, there's a lot of nonsense that you hear. Um, how did you come up with the idea of hugging? And I know it comes out of relationship, but people use relationships all the time and I don't think they mean it. Yeah. Well, and again, as I said earlier, I mean, it, my battle for 40 years um, has always been how do I translate the conventional world into my unconventional world? Because I clearly need to do business differently in order to get different results. And, um, you know, I I work, my clients, the students of my business institute, uh, they are very impact-driven people. Uh, many of our, most of our students uh, have either been in business for a number of years or they left corporate recently. So they've got a wealth of experience, but they're very driven by making a difference in the world. So therefore, a lot of conventional marketing kind of creeps them out. And I also, my first book was called Lingo. And Lingo is a brand message strategy book. It's it's about how to how to attract your ideal customers. Very much based on how I went from being a lower middle class kid to becoming a portrait photographer for affluent families. There's a component also in in brand messaging, which to me is the energy of words, right? So in branding, we're we're carefully using the energy of words to attract our ideal customers. But you also have to pay attention to the impact of the energy words, energy of words within yourself. So when it comes to marketing, marketing is full of horrible energy words. <laughs> you know, if you think if you think about your customers as a target audience, they're going to feel targeted. Right. Even if behind the scenes, only in your team, in your own mind, if if you swear to yourself that you're only using the terminology of target market behind the scenes, it doesn't matter because if you're thinking about them as a target, your chosen strategies are going to make them feel targeted. Okay. So um things like that. I you know, and, and then we use ridiculous, we think about we use ridiculous terms in marketing like tripwires. Like, could there be a more let's we're gonna yes. trip people up, right? Yes. I mean. Think about the energy of marketing words and it's horrible. So I recognize this within myself. I'm like, man, I don't, I'm so picky about it. Like I don't, I don't refer to the people I serve as my audience or even as a speaker. I don't refer to it as audi- the audience in front of me. I call them my people, 
right? Yeah. I want to be in front of my people because if I, told them, if I call them my people, it's like calling them your family. You have a different level yeah. of responsibility than some audience, right? So I, I shift all the words to be accurate to the energy I want to create. Mm-hmm. So when I came to this marketing funnel thing, I'm like, I just almost can't imagine a worse process than thinking about putting people through a marketing funnel. Because a funnel, and, and think about every marketing funnel diagram you've ever seen, it's in the shape of a funnel, right? It's really wide at the top, open-hearted. It looks like you're open and receiving for what? To squeeze people yeah. through a small hole? Yeah. It gets yeah. narrow and narrow. So, the, I mean, this is how marketing funnels have visually been portrayed. If you're thinking about your marketing that way, I guarantee you that's exactly how you're being felt by your customers. And here's a key thing. I've been, again, having been in business for 40 years, in the 80s, 90s, you get hired, you could have been the biggest jerk and you would get hired anyway if you were exceptionally good at what you did, mm-hmm. all right? Somewhere around two, 2000, maybe certainly an effect of 9-11 and many years after that, it shifted. People today, well, they are more apt to hire you because of how they feel about you. You could be the best in your industry, but if you're a terrible person, people won't do business with you. And think even big brands, how many brands have been blasted because of poor behavior internally or the fact, I mean, I have a whole list of brands that I won't go to because I have followed the money trail and where that Mm -hmm. business puts their money is against my values, right? So people will choose today, they they choose to do business with those they feel good about more so than how good you are at what you do. Okay. So the energy of what you're thinking is imperative. So the marketing funnel to me had to shift. And I came up with this idea of hug marketing, where instead of it being in the diagram and shape of a funnel, hug marketing is a series of concentric circles, one circle inside of the next, next. And it, it also just perfectly represents today's marketing because in today's marketing, the outermost circle are called lurkers. Lurkers are people that you're, it's a, 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 portfolio of lurkers that you want to build up then there are people that are watching you but you don't know who they are mm-hmm. right so there are people listening to your podcast right now there are people that are watching on social media there are people that have eyes and ears on you and you have no connection with them yet yeah your mm-hmm. job is how do you then get them curious how do you get them engaged how do you get them to connect with you how do you get them to become clients and then once they become clients how do you build such a solid relationship that if mm-hmm. you were to see this customer live and in person you would naturally give a hug and that's why the goal becomes a hug, not shoving them through a funnel. So it energetically completely flips it upside down um, in how you feel about those that you're serving, how they feel the energy coming from you. And it literally lays out a step-by-step strategy of what you need to do. And this is how we teach it in the Business Institute is you know, we build the assets. Like how do you get people to get connected with you? Probably through a lead magnet. We build the lead magnet with mm-hmm. you a super compelling lead magnet. So there are assets and strategies that come with each step. So now this, what might feel like a very, you know, uh, not quite woo-woo, but it feels like a, a really nicely heart-centered strategy. It's also incredibly strategic because <laughs> we can teach the steps step-by-step. So it's, um yeah, it's been, it's been the thing that probably in my, my coaching career that has gotten the most attention uh, yeah. because people really grasp the concept and it makes the, it makes marketing feel good. Yeah. Well, I would say too that it is not. I mean, it is still a funnel. What you have created is still a funnel. It's just that you have labeled it. Yeah. In a, a way a that like gives you. Yeah. It gives you that, that gives you um, that makes you feel better. That makes yeah. you feel like more connected to the people you want, the customers you want, the people yeah. you want it's to still, serve. Right. It's still a pathway to client acquisition. It just is done mm-hmm. in in a, a kinder way, which. Part of my goal here, understand, Dave, part of my goal is to get people who don't like marketing to do marketing, because if they don't do marketing, they're not getting their work out there. And that that's what kills me. It's like, but they mm-hmm. don't do marketing because traditional marketing has been creepy. Exactly. So it gets, it yeah. gets people marketing. Right. Well, and I only and I only make that point just because I know people are going to look at me and they're going to go, Dave, is that really true? And I'll go, no, what what the hug is, is ex- absolutely a funnel. But it's the way that you've explained it. It is totally fits your business. And that, and that's always like the key is that like there's no one size fits all funnel. There should not be. Right. And if this funnel language works for you, it's totally cool. But for a lot of people, it doesn't because it does feel transactional. It does feel kind of icky. It feels kind of creepy. I that's, call when I talk about people, I talk about them like they're my gang and my crew. 
right? Yeah, I like and like yeah. when I when I meet people, they like think they they've known me forever. Like even though I've never met them, it's like it is totally great. And yeah. I, so I mean, to me, I was like, going, I saw myself in this, and I thought it was awesome. Now, and you know, so 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 to me, it totally works. That, that's that's the full thing. Um, is the final thing here is the daily habits, uh, and I really like this. The well, really, it's like the what's going right. And like focusing on this, because I know for certain if I just talk about myself, it's like it's easy to look at the things that aren't working very well. Um, you know, so that's great. And then um, I do like the expand your thinking thing, because like we talked about before, it's like you with the fog, you have to like clear out the own clutter. And so a lot of times you're limiting yourself. I mean, these things like they really talk to me, but I guess it's because I've been doing what I do for a long time as well. Can you explain the daily habits to, to everybody? Yeah. So, and again, as I said earlier, that this is an ecosystem, right? And you're in order for you to have a full, healthy, thriving business that consists of personal development, business strategies, and daily habits. Uh, and and the, again, but not equal. You're gonna what we teach in our business institute is 15 to 17 minutes of daily practices, uh, which uh, you really are two main practices. Uh, one is what I refer to as a clearing of the mind exercise. The most obvious one is meditation, but I don't restrict people to meditating. It could be some people get into a zone when they run. Some people get into a zone when they do woodworking. But the zone is not just high efficiency and, and high effectiveness. The zone I really want to get people to get into is whatever activity you take on, it should clear your mind. You should have a mm -hmm. sense of, of cleanse, having been cleansed. So that when you do the step, second part of the daily practices, uh, the daily habits, the second part is the what's going right journal. So you have to have clear the mind in order for the what's going right journal to be highly effective. And here's the thing. Here's why the the the, the what's going right journal is, is scientifically based in that we are working against our human nature, human human nature. As humans, we are wired for survival in mm -hmm. order to be wired for survival. We look first and foremost at our threats. Mm -hmm. And our threats have changed. You know, we don't have tigers, lions, and bears outside of our caves anymore, but we have social media. We have hits to our ego. We have a senses mm -hmm. of competition. We have so many threats to how we feel about ourselves. Those are the threats and um, often come along in forms of criticism, right? So what do you, if somebody gives you nine compliments, one criticism, the only thing you're going to remember is the criticism because we're wired to pay attention to the threats. So in business, when particularly being self-employed, when we need our maximum, our, our maximum efficiency, our maximum potential, our maximum mindset every freaking day, we can't be bogged down by, by worrying in the negativity. So the what's going right journal is a practice of journaling what's going right every day. And you literally start every sentence with what's going right is. And what's going right is I, I got two new clients. What's going right is I'm meeting people who can be influential to me. What's going right is I'm really proud of myself for sticking to my daily habits. Mm -hmm. What's going right is you just keep every sentence. What's going right is what's going right is. Now, there's one more, you know, I think a, 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 one spiritual truth that I think almost I think almost everyone has finally come to, to buy into. And that is that you get more of what you focus on. I don't think anybody mm -hmm. can deny that anymore, right? You get more, and, and again, the scientific explanation of that is called brain priming. Brain priming is that you are far more likely to recognize what you already know. If you, It's why when you hear about a movie or a book you never heard of before and suddenly you see it everywhere. Right? Yeah. That's brain priming. Mm -hmm. Once it's been in, your brain, is now, your brain is now primed to recognize it. Therefore, if you're journaling about what's going right, guess what happens? You're far more likely to see what's mm -hmm. going right. It starts overpowering the negative negativity and it shifts to, it creates an energy. My goal with this is to create what I call an inward flow, because mm -hmm. now there's an inward flow of recognition of goodness of what's going right. You start seeing more of it. You start building on it. It is the strongest reversal I've ever, and I, and in all transparency, I came up with this idea at a very low point in my life. I had moved to Miami I, in a relationship. The relationship blew up in a ridiculous way. I found myself living alone in a brand new city. I had left my beloved New York City behind, my family, and you know, here I am in a, in a new city by myself, starting a whole new business. I, I really was kind of walking away from a good part of my photography business to start writing books and becoming a coach. And um, it was pretty hard to see anything going right at that time. But that's why I created this. I'm like, man, I got to turn this around. How can I, I yeah. can't keep seeing what's going wrong. I have to see what's going right. 
And I tried a gratitude journal, but to be in all honesty, uh, gratitude just wasn't actionable enough for me. I mean, I'm grateful if I'm right. breathing. I'm grateful if my dog is happy. Like mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's not, not actionable right. where what's going right became actionable and it became what I saw every day became a direct reflection of what I was journaling. And I saw yeah. that it worked. Yeah, no, it, it's um, and for people who, again, question this as being woo, woo these studies, because I've seen them, they are not like BS. They are like universities all over the world have they say, like, uh, you know, any kind of gratitude or journaling, these things, they, they are powerful. They do imprint these things on the brain. Now, granted, you know, it, it doesn't happen instantly and it's not like going, uh, you know, you think it in the being, but it does help. It's like it's like with your business, which I think is like probably a good place to wrap to wrap it up a little bit. It's like going, none of this stuff happens in a day. It's mm -hmm. a series of taking action consistently. And I think one of, and this will be my like probably final question for you, or next to last question. My next to last question will be like, um, you know, for most people, they think that this thing is going to happen quickly, right? And they, they say they're going to start their business or they want to work for themselves so they can gain control. And then they give up because all of a sudden that control thing that they thought they were going to have isn't there as fast as they want it to be. Um, you know, what message would you give people to fight through, right? To overcome, like you said, a low point, right? Like some of the stuff that I've had to figure out and overcome and do have come in like really low points and nobody ever cares. Like nobody wants to knows about the low points a lot of times because they don't pay attention to it. They want, they want the woo woo rah rah story. How do you tell people to keep going? Like, you know, what can, what assign points for success? Like you're moving in the right direction look yeah. like. 100%. And, and, and I, I, I often references the messy middle. Like when I see people there, I tell them you're in the messy middle and the, and the messy middle is, um, and in, in my book, I refer to this as growth jet lag because I know it's coming. So one thing that will help you is to know what's coming and it, and it, here's what it looks like. And here's the, and it's also the indicator that you're going in the right direction. You've changed, you've put in all the work you've, you've, you know, maybe you've invested in coaching, you've invested in our self-employed business institute, mm -hmm. you've invested in the support. So you've changed, you've changed as a person, you've changed your strategies, you're thrilled and excited. And then you, you hit this, this wall, this messy middle where like, great, I doing all the things, but the results aren't any different. And then that is as frustrating as anything can be. Mm -hmm. I think it's the worst stage. And you go through this various stages as you grow. The reality, that's why I call it growth jet lag. You have to give it time for the world to catch up to you, right? It's sort of like, again, another metaphor. Uh, if you've broken someone's trust and you've done the work to become trustworthy, you cannot expect the person who you was impacted by your lack of trust to instantly trust you. It has to be rebuilt. In the same way that you've made the changes, you've learned the right strategies, you're applying different strategies, you're now, um, you know, you're writing content for magazines, you're, you're going on a podcast tour, like you're getting word out there and it, it may feel like there's crickets, nothing's changed. Yeah. You have to just keep going to, in order to get through the messy middle because you have mm -hmm. to accept that there's a period of time where you've changed but the world hasn't caught up to you yet. Right. You know, it's mm -hmm. in a way I kind of like to look at it as an algorithm. You know, if you imagine like there's an algorithm spinning the globe that it just hasn't made its way around to you yet to pick up on all the new things that you've done and who you are as a different person. Mm -hmm. And that that's why I call it growth jet lag. It's a, it is, it is by far, I think the most frustrating stage because you're so ready. You put in the work, you're so ready for the different results. And it's just going to take a little time to get caught up to you, but it will just keep going through the messy middle. Yeah. All right. So then now the final question is, where can people find more about you? Where at least, Let's plug some stuff. Let's sell. Let's sell. Yep. Well, I tell you, especially because it came up, I would absolutely love for your, your people to take the self-employed assessment, right? Go to selfemployedassessment.com because if any of our conversation resonates, if the idea of an ecosystem resonates, there are your answers. I mean, it's a custom algorithm um, that I had designed. It asks you, you answer six questions and the, it's, cleverly done so you may not be able to tell exactly what the outcome of those questions is going to be and then the algorithm will give you back a very complete report and because it's all symptom based like it literally will say because we know and this is what i've built into the algorithms that if people feel like 
you know, they're working really hard and, but they don't, they're not getting the results they want. Why is that? Well, this is what's weak in your ecosystem. This is where mm -hmm. to put your attention. And again, it's never, uh, because it's an ecosystem, it's not a matter of turning anything hundred percent on and off. It's getting all of them, to, all those pieces to mm -hmm. work in harmony. So this will just give you uh, very accurate places to work. So again, it's selfemployedassessment.com. Start there because in the thank you page and everything else, all my contact information is going to be there. So if you start there, you're going to find your way to me with no problem. <laughs> and the books, <laughs> yeah. both of my books, of course, are on every platform online that you can possibly buy books. So yeah, you can't miss us is, is the lesson I tell people. You can't miss us. Well, you'll find us everywhere. And it's yeah, exactly. the same for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and well, I, that's my line when I'm dating too. I, you know, if I meet someone, I'm like, just Google my name. You're gonna find out more on the internet than you even want to know. Yeah, yeah. more than I <laughs> want you to know most check. of the time. Exactly. Yeah. People, I, I, I lead with, uh, you're welcome or I'm sorry, whichever one you need. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's all about perception. <laughs> exactly. Uh, thank you so much for doing this, Jeffrey. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Let me know what you thought of my conversation with Jeffrey Shaw by sending me an email. It is my name, daviddavewakeman.com. Make sure you check out the show notes and get the sign up at the link to the Beyond Boom and Bust or Beyond Boom to Bust webinar on January 31st, 2024 at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. That'll be some strategy do's and don'ts that'll help you stabilize your revenue, uh, set yourself on a path to growth in 2024 and beyond. Um, make sure you get the Talking Tickets newsletter. It's talkingtickets.substack.com. Uh, make sure if you want to learn more or be put on the list uh, about the free, potentially free uh, event in Chicago, send me a note, daviddavewakeman.com. I'm working out the final details on it right now, so I can't tell you exactly what all the stuff is, but I'm working on it. It looks like it's going to be cool. So send me uh, an email expressing your interest so I can plan this thing a little bit better. Uh, DavidDaveWakeman.com. Uh, also, 2024, I want to get your voice into the podcast more. So send me your questions about attendance, driving attendance, uh, getting more attendance, stabilizing attendance, where to find attendance, anything attendance related. Send it to me. I'm going to look to use your questions in an upcoming episode of The Business of Fun. So send them to me at daviddavewakeman.com. Uh, in the DMs, on social media, you can join the Slack channel, Talking Tickets Slack channel, uh, whatever way works for you. Uh, make sure you share this podcast with a colleague or a friend or someone who would benefit from it. Uh, and rate and review the podcast on whatever service you listen to, whatever your podcast host of cho or home of choices. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here and I will talk to you soon. Take it easy. <laughs>